Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. Cole Bjorn Berksham here, going to be riding solo with y'all today as we're going to be talking a little bit more about March Madness uh, after a stellar first day of the second weekend of uh, that of men's basketball. We are now into the first day of not only women's uh, basketball for Sweet 16 and beyond, but then the second day of men, the day right before the Elite Eight. Uh, going to recap here a little bit of the exciting uh, action that happened yesterday in men's basketball and talk about the rest of the fixtures. And then moving on from there, we'll also talk about, of course, the women as with, you know, us being some Blacksburg students here, Virginia Tech is still in. Virginia Tech is still dancing, making the Sweet 16 for the first time in a while. So it's going to be fun to be able to ponder and talk about all the exciting things that can happen here uh, in college basketball really for the rest of this month as little time we have left before the tournament officially closes so without any further ado i do want to go ahead and get into that of a little bit of a recap of what happened yesterday so yesterday there were four games that took place kansas state versus michigan state uconn versus arkansas fau versus tennessee and gonzaga versus ucla now, in all of those, the team that I think I let off with, actually, was the team that ended up winning uh, UConn in a dominant battle against Arkansas, uh, which, to be honest, I'm not fully surprised by. This is the same Arkansas team that, though they had a strong performance, did beat a Kansas side that was weakened uh, throughout, really, the beginning of the tournament. And, you know, o- overall, just, like, <laughs> throughout the tournament, in, uh, in the Big 12 tournament, that's, that's kind of where I was thinking, but... Uh, only beat them by one. So then to take on UConn, a team that's been pretty consistently good throughout the year, uh, it definitely was not an ideal matchup for them. This is a very strong UConn team. Uh, this is a team that I've been pretty high on going into March Madness, and Jordan Hawkins led the way for this side with 24 points uh, to get them through to the Elite Eight, where they'll be taking on that of Gonzaga. Uh, in Vegas. So pretty good game there for UConn. It's a really exciting one if you're out there in Vegas to be able to watch it. That's probably going to be one of the best Elite Eight games to occur. Probably the best, though. I guess there's a pretty nice in-state matchup that can happen uh, if you catch my drift. Moving on, though, uh, FAU also beat Tennessee uh, in a surprise game where Tennessee led most of the way, and then FAU kind of came back towards the end and were able to get the win. In fact, outscoring Tennessee by 12 points in the second half, led by John L. Davis, who had 15 points, but only went 3-9 and nine from the field, 9-10 uh, from the free throw line. So very solid job there from the Owls, who uh, have definitely defied expectations as a team that, though they only lost three games on the season, hadn't really played much competition. Uh, they've now come in here and kind of shocked the world in a sense. Uh, unfortunate as that was the for me when I was making my bracket the toss up between whether I was going to have FAU or Memphis in the uh, Elite Eight slash Final Four and I went with the former and unfortunately you know FAU beating Memphis but that does set up for another uh, pretty interesting Elite Eight matchup which we'll talk about later as I am saving that as that was the best game uh, of the night. But Gonzaga-UCLA was a very intriguing ending uh, for the first day of uh, the second weekend. Drew Timme uh, uh, absolutely dominating uh, for Gonzaga, almost putting up half of, his, uh, half of his team's points. 36 of the 79 for the Bulldogs. 
as they came back uh, in the second half with the last second shot to beat UCLA 79-76. UCLA seemed to be cruising to a win in the first half, up by 13, but then, of course, only losing by three uh, to a shot by Strother to end it all and send the Bulldogs to the Elite Eight. So, I mean, as a neutral, I will say that that does look like it's going to benefit UConn, a team that's coming in here uh, after a dominant performance, probably not having to break too much of a sweat, coming up against a Gonzaga team that definitely had to leave everything out on the line and ultimately struggled against a team without one of its starting players. But it's still going to be a very good matchup. I think it's probably the best matchup that we're going to get. So I think that's going to be really exciting to be able to watch this coming Saturday uh, as I'm recording this, of course, on Friday. Uh, but the other game to talk about, and I've left it for last, though it was the the first game on television Thursday, was that of Kansas State, Michigan State, because it's one of the best college basketball games I've watched. Um, there there seemed to not be a lot going in the way of Kansas State, but that team just kept on fighting. It was incredible. Keontae Johnson being the leading scorer, but that really wasn't the story of the night. The story of the night was Marquise Noel essentially playing on one foot after having a nasty roll of his ankle and putting up the March Madness record. Not not just, you know, a high amount, but the record amount of assists in 19 against Michigan State. Absolutely putting out dimes left, right, and center. Obviously breaking the record for how much he had, but he still put up 20 points, even though he played on one bad foot for about... Gosh, what would that be? 15 minutes of in-game play, but you know that's going to be a lot longer with timeouts and everything. That was one of the most like superhuman performances I think I've ever seen in any sport, particularly March Madness. I mean, it's 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 something where someone that you know, if, if that was a slightly worse injury, would have probably been off the court, or they would have been off the court a lot more. But Marquis Noel was only off the court for two minutes. Noel is someone who has played every minute for Kansas State in this tournament up until yesterday, but he only sat out for two minutes after a nasty ankle roll. I I cannot imagine the grit and determination that he had to have had to be able to get through the entirety of that game. It was truly a special performance to watch. I hope you all are able to watch it live. Um, and obviously, though I'm singing the praises of Kansas State, it's not like it was just a Kansas State game too, though, right? This was a solid game for Michigan State as well. A.J. Hogard really took over in the uh, second half of play, really keeping the Sparties in it, uh, really being their driving factor. Joey Hauser uh, leading the way throughout the first half and then getting some help along the way from Atkins and Walker in uh, Hall off the bench. Uh, whereas for Kansas State, in which this is one of the more interesting things to me, is this was, you know, very much a team effort. Hogard led the way with 25 points for Michigan State. The next closest was Joey Hauser with 18. The highest, as I said, was Keontae Johnson with 22, Noel with 20. But then you also had four other players beyond the key two that got double-digit points. You had a great performance from Cam Carter, particularly throughout that second half. He put up five of six from the field, putting up 12. You had a strong performance from Naquan Tomlin, uh, the junior, who put up four and nine from the field. Uh, had a solid performance from David uh, Ngasan, uh, formerly of Virginia Tech, who put up 11 points off the bench, perfect from the field, uh, including a three-point shot. 
And then you also had the incredible performance from Ishmael Massoud, who was able to put up 15 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 4 of 6 from range, hitting the most 3-point shots uh, on the night for the Wildcats, tied for the most with Atkins, Walker, and Hauser. Michigan State really relying on the success of its perimeter. I mean, this is just a fantastic game through and through. Um, and ultimately, it was a fantastic team performance from the Wildcats. Uh, I, I, I've said this a little bit. Uh, I, I know I posted this on my Twitter, and I definitely said it to my uh, dad and some others as well. But in full transparency, if you were to tell me right now that this is your team to win it all, the Wildcats, I would not fault you. Um, this team just has some sort of magic about it. I I cannot describe what it is, and when I can't describe like the magic of something, it makes me that much more excited for what that team is providing because I know that that team is providing something special. If I can't quite put my finger on exactly what is special about the team, um, you know, it's, it's it's almost like a mystery how good the team is. So. I, I think in a matchup with Florida Atlantic, um, who, though they've earned their way here, I will say have granted had a little bit of a cakewalk in a sense. I mean, they had to play Farley Dickinson. They played Tennessee without one of its starting guards. And they played Memphis. And I think that was a game where Memphis choked it away, if I remember right. There's a real good chance that Kansas State is going to be heavy favorites going into Saturday, and I think that the media would probably be right it's labeling the Cats as heavy favorites, which, if they win, would be the first time the Wildcats have made the Final Four in a long time. Um, I know, at least from discussions with my you know family, who a lot of them went to Kansas State, uh, it's, it's at least been, like, you know, not in the modern era that Kansas State basketball uh, has made the final four, but to try to give you a, a full thing here, uh, I've, I've only heard Elite Eight stories. I remember the Elite Eight a few years ago. The last time the Cats made the final four was in 1964. So it's been well over 50 years, just just shy of 60, uh, of this team not making the final four. They've never won an NCAA title in general. Last time they've made the Elite Eight, times I remember, uh, 2018, 2010. Some pretty magical years for the Wildcats, but this is definitely the best that they have had um, in my lifetime, at least in, in my opinion. It, this, this feels like at least the most exciting. This is the most excited I've been about the Wildcats in the tournament in my lifetime. Uh, I've seen more excitement, of course, from Kansas, but... Really, really excited to see how those Saturday games are going to go out. So, obviously, we have UConn versus Gonzaga and Kansas State versus Florida Atlantic University. Those are going to be your two games uh, for Saturday. And if I were to give you my stakes on that now before we can move on from this uh, flash, you know, look, looking back on Thursday, I think Kansas State would be my heavy favorites. Um, I, I do think it depends on the health of Noel a little bit. But I'm also not concerned by the health of Noel, specifically because this Florida Atlantic team isn't the best. But more importantly than that, Kansas State just showed against Michigan State that they can put on a full team display 
uh, you know, Noel leading the way, of course, with 19 assists, but they can put on a full team display. So this Wildcat team definitely looks different and does not look as good without Noel on the court. But I think against a side that is not of power five caliber and a side that has kind of struggled to get its way here, I think I'd favor the Cats with or without their star in Noel. Uh, I can see Keontae Johnson leading the way. I can see Masu getting good points. Uh, ultimately, I think that the Cats feel destined for the Final Four. Um, and then I would also kind of put UConn there as well. Um, I, I do feel bad for doubting the Cats a little bit. I had the Cats in the Final Four until I decided to doubt myself. But uh, UConn and Gonzaga in your other game, I, I think I'd favor the uh, Huskies right now. Uh, UConn, a very solid team. Haven't been this far in the tournament in a little bit. So uh, to get back here is nice to see the Huskies. But I think that this Huskies team really has something. It has an answer for Gonzaga that I don't think that they'll be able to respond from, which is they have an answer for Drew Time uh, in Sunoco. And I don't think that Gonzaga's really faced a team that, you know, at the very least has an answer of a caliber that's equal to or better than Time. So I think to be able to kind of have that one-for-one between those two athletes, it's going to be a very hard-pressed game when the rest of Gonzaga kind of struggled their way through uh, to be able to pull that off. So, I again, I think I'd favor the, uh, the Huskies here um, in what should be a pretty solid game uh, between the two sides. Uh, the only Elite Eight? Mm, I can technically have two Elite Eight matchups predicted right, but... We'll talk about that as we get into the Friday slate of games. Very, very exciting. We we have the game to kick everything off, SDSU against Alabama, the highest seed that Alabama has left to play in its region. Um, basically, the quote-unquote last line of defense before Alabama would presumably make the elite, uh, the Final Four. Um, you've got Miami versus Houston in what is my favorite game of the uh, evening. That's going to be the second one on CBS. That's a really, really exciting matchup. Uh, really one of the best defensive teams in the nation up against one of the best shooting teams in the nation. Um, taking place in KC. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, then you've got the Cinderella story in Princeton uh, doing all their math homework in their hotel rooms as they are prepping to take on Creighton. Uh, definitely a very intriguing matchup. Uh, this is a Creighton side that I think that there have been better Creighton teams. Uh, however, you know we've been expecting this program to do so much for so long that the fact that they're now here kind of you know it, it feels good for them. It's almost it, it, it's almost kind of vindicating in a sense. It feels nice that they're able to be here. Uh, and then finally, the last game that starts at nine forty-five EST is going to be that of Xavier versus Texas. Uh, Texas being uh, one of the favored teams in this tournament, one of uh, the team that I have picked to go all the way um, in Xavier, a team that's kind of struggled to get here. Uh, you know, being down by a lot to Kinesaw before, uh, before you know, clawing its way back in and winning. And then against Pitt, another game where they actually were very successful in the first half, but then they kind of struggled in the second. Ultimately, they're still able to get through relatively in a relatively comfortable manner. 
But for a Xavier team that's the three seed, you'd expect a little bit more uh, when you're up against the 11 seed, just you know, on a day of rest. But I digress. Um, all pretty good games. Uh, it's going to be exciting to be able to see what kind of happens here with these matchups. Um, if I'm kind of taking the pick between all of them, uh, Bama is probably my favorite coming up against SDSU. Uh, you know, fav- favorite to win. Um, I think that Bama just has too much firepower for SDSU to be able to stop. They haven't really played a team quite like Bama um, in terms of firepower because SDSU is one of the best defensive teams in the nation, but, you know, they they aren't playing uh, SEC teams on a weekly basis, right? Nah, but Bama is. So Bama's played a team of this caliber. Bama's played defensive teams of this caliber and have been able to pull off wins. So I think that the the Tide are going to continue to roll into the Elite Eight from this matchup uh, in a region that's just kind of unfortunately fallen apart a little bit, expected a little bit more from Baylor, uh, certainly expected more from Arizona, uh, but now Bama doesn't have too much of a challenge uh, going into uh, the Elite Eight, or at least not on paper. Uh, My favorite game is Miami versus Houston. This is one that's kind of been a toss and turn. Uh, Both sides have been a little bit banged up, uh, coming into the tournament, uh, you know, uh, o- uh, Northside Omier uh, was injured uh, for the first weekend, uh, or at least was banged up, and I think he was able to get minutes. Uh, Poplar got injured, uh, and he's uh, been a little bit of a question mark going into this game. And then, of course, for Houston, they came in with uh, Sasser, their leading scorer, uh, having a groin injury, and made me really concerned about how this team would perform on the first weekend, but... Lo and behold, they were able to get a dominant win against Auburn in the second in the second round, and were able to beat Northern Kentucky. Though uh, Northern Kentucky was close throughout the entirety of that game, so it's a hard matchup to be able to look at because of how talented Houston is defensively, and I think that that's something that can be off-putting for the Hurricanes. I, I think. If I was to really go for it, I think I would go with Houston, but my heart says Miami. So I think I'm going to lean with my mind in this case and go with Houston. It almost feels destined uh, that we're going to get Houston versus Texas in the uh, Elite Eight, which, you know, obviously the committee kind of set it up that way. But what a setup that we've had, though, right? Having two of the best teams in the nation, both of them from Texas, being able to play each other in the Elite Eight. I think it's pretty cool. Um, obviously, that speaks for what I think of the Texas game, but ultimately, I think that both these sides are strong, and Houston showed its strength as a team uh, this past weekend when they were able to uh, overcome the concerns of you know Sasser's injury and be able to go on and get some pretty big wins. So... I think with all that being said, it just makes me feel that much more confident that uh, Houston is going to be able to move on uh, and play Texas counterpart in the Longhorns uh, this coming weekend. Um, Though I think the biggest concern there uh, for Houston is going to be, of course, the fact of if Sasser is back to full strength. Because Sasser played a lot more minutes against Auburn, granted, Uh, put up 22 points, was one of the by far leading scorers on the team. And in the first game against uh, Northern Kentucky, where Houston was struggling a bit, he did play a lot less. So 
I figured that he's probably healthy now. Uh, I think a groin injury, when I looked it up out of concern, uh, is you know kind of like in that week range. Uh, like like week is in length to clarify, but ultimately, I'm really excited for a possible in-state matchup in the Elite Eight where uh, then you have the final game for me to kind of briefly talk about Princeton Creighton. It's kind of hard to talk about two teams that comparatively to the Power Five you're a little bit less familiar with, but I I, I think comparatively to wanting to take the Tigers of Princeton, uh, first of all, the only 15 seed that's ever gone to the Elite Eight just happened last year. I don't think we're going to get that back-to-back years. But then ultimately, in what I said with Creighton, as we are talking about McDermott's side, is that this is a team that we've expected for a long time to showcase uh, their strength in the month of March and be able to actually put together uh, a decent performance. And we haven't really had that, you know, what, what we expected out of this team up until this season. So... I think for the Blue Jays to be here and to be up against a team that, you know, they may have not quite expected to play if they made it this far, I think that they know what they're capable of. And I think that they know that this is their best chance to be able to kind of show to that of the college basketball world what they're capable of being able to do. So I do think that Creighton is going to be able to win. And I think they're going to be a very interesting underdog story against that of Alabama uh, as they're just a really well-rounded side. Um, and I think they're going to make things interesting for the rolling tide comparatively to what most people would think on paper in a one-versus-six matchup. So that's kind of a look at that. And ultimately, uh, to give a little bit of insight here, uh, I believe we've been talking about here uh, over the past week uh, our March Madness brackets and how they've been performing. So um, this is going to be kind of that middle segment and almost a segue into that of women's basketball and giving a brief look into what's going to be going on this weekend in uh, March Madness for them. But ultimately, for the 3304 Sports Podcast, of course, uh, we have our own podcast group, a group that's made up of... Uh, you know, a lot of the people that have been recording this week, from Ethan to Abby to myself to Gavin, very, very a big and exciting group. So ultimately, here's how this uh, group is currently laid out. Uh, for anyone that is not in the know, I don't, I don't know if this uh, just, just to kind of give you guys a full recap here. Uh, the current leader of the group, Abby Nielsen. Uh, does not have many more points to be able to get to her name, unfortunately. Uh, all of her teams are out that were in the Elite Eight for the South. Uh, she only has one team that was in the Elite Eight for the, for the East. She has both of her teams in the Midwest still. And then she has uh, one of her teams in UConn. Uh, but all but one of her final, or one of her final four teams are out. Uh, as she picked Purdue, NC State, UCLA, and Xavier. So though she does lead the pack by 60 points, that lead is unfortunately going to get trimmed up pretty quick by the people behind. Uh, I'm currently in second by 50 uh, points ahead of uh, Gavin James and uh, have the current highest projection uh, among 
that of the podcast group. I don't think that that's of the 3304 sports group, as that's actually the Zach attack bracket. But for the podcast group, I have the highest projected total left at 1410, uh, a little bit higher than Gavin at 1360. And then you have 1120 with Ethan Owens, et cetera. Um, but I'm still feeling pretty nice. Uh, to give a little bit of an insight to my bracket, uh, I still got Bama, who can make the Elite Eight for me in the South, but that's it. I had a pretty bad South uh, showing. Uh, in the East, I got one of my two because I flipped Memphis with FAU, unfortunately. Uh, in the Midwest, uh, I can still get Texas, uh, as I had them originally coming up against Auburn, who very much disappointed in the round of 32. And then I got both of my teams in the West, as I had UConn and Gonzaga from the start. So... A very good thing for me, uh, or a very good showcase from me, uh, <laughs> thankfully. And uh, the best case scenario for my bracket is if the Final Four consists of Bama, Texas, and UConn in some sort of way, uh, then obviously the Kansas State fan of me would want Kansas State. But I still have three of my Final Four teams eligible, both my national championship teams eligible. Uh, pretty solid showing. I'm, I'm pretty happy with my March Madness bracket. Uh, particularly when they were, it was trying to say that my bracket was really bad and give, show me the little ice cube, and now I have the little fire next to it again. I, I, it's like, you know, I almost felt vindicated. I'm like, hold on, hold on, ESPN. Don't give me the ice cube yet. I'm not cold. You, you haven't even seen what's going to happen in the Sweet 16. <laughs> but here we are, and I'm able to get some points back and now go from whatever low percentile in the 20s I was at to 82 now. Uh, with getting a lot of those games yesterday. But the women's brackets are where things are a lot more exciting for me. I actually lead the way in 3304 Sports. We don't have a 3304 Sports podcast bracket for this one, um, but we do have the 3304 Sports bracket as a whole. And everyone here still has the uh, uh, in the thousands of projected points. Uh, but I currently have the most projected points left on the board, and I have the... Uh, most points there with 510. I'm kind of shocked by how well I've done here. I'm in the 98th percentile currently. Obviously, a lot more is going to fall apart, most likely, in that of the second weekend than that of the first. But both the one seeds that went out early, Indiana and uh, Stanford, I did not have them going that much farther. I had Indiana out in the Elite Eight to LSU, and I had Stanford out in the Sweet 16 uh, to Louisville. So I, I was kind of quote-unquote ahead of the curve with that, ultimately still having South Carolina and Virginia Tech as the other one seeds. And uh, in the Greenville and Seattle brackets, those have ended up kind of being chalk uh, with the top four seeds making it out both ways, uh, which I took Ohio State in one of them. And another one I don't think I did. I think I took North Carolina. So thankfully I stuck with Ohio State on one. But ultimately, all of my Final Four teams are still eligible in this. Uh, that's why I have so many, such a high amount of projected points left. Uh, as I had LSU, Iowa, South Carolina, and Virginia Tech, I had South Carolina winning it all. Um, and ultimately, uh, looking for a strong showcase from the ACC, as I had in the Elite Eight, Notre Dame, Louisville, and Virginia Tech. And possibly the ACC could have four of eight teams if Miami gets the win over Villanova, but that's going to be an interesting one. Miami currently playing a little bit ahead of their station uh, to be able to get here with a very early upset, and I think a last-second upset against Indiana, too. So 
pretty big weekend here for women's ball as we are going to fully delve into it and be able to discuss. So what goes down today, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, the first, uh, you know, the first games to kind of scroll through here uh, to not mess it up. I have the dates. There you go. Perfect. The first game that's going to be going on is that of Miami versus Villanova to see if Miami can also add an ECC name into the Elite Eight. Uh, pretty good matchup here between these two sides. Um, it's going to be exciting to be able to see how this one ends up. This is, of course, in Greenville, South Carolina, as these brackets broke down into, uh, or these regions more uh, more so, broke down into uh, two uh, large, you know, two larger, like, uh, locations. So the women uh, in two regions are in Greenville, whereas the other women in two regions are in Seattle. Um, shout out David Cunningham posting a picture of, uh, was, I don't remember if it was Seattle morning or Seattle night, but ultimately as he is out there alongside some other uh, Virginia Tech alum in greats uh, to be able to uh, discuss or be able to ultimately witness Virginia Tech women's basketball going on. But all that being said, Miami versus Villanova is the first game on today. Uh, that is going to then be followed by the other Greenville matchup of LSU versus Utah. Probably my favorite matchup here in the Sweet 16. Utah a team being able to really shine throughout this season in the Pac-12. Um, and LSU being one of the best teams in the SEC. And ultimately, an absolute shock that they were a three seed. Like, this is a team that went 30-2 and two on the season, and they're a three? Okay. Wow, <laughs> but the Tigers were incredible this year, and I think that this is a matchup between two teams that could have been arguably considered for that one-seed line uh, that are now going to be uh, going up against teams that you would presume that they can beat uh, in the lead Eight. So it almost feels like whoever wins this is probably going to make the Final Four. And the other games that are on today are that of Ole Mill... Uh, Home Mill, wow. Ole Miss versus Louisville and Colorado versus Iowa. Starting off with the first one, as I said, I'm out of order. Colorado versus Iowa. Um, this is one where I, I did have the 6'10 the, uh, line uh, getting the upset here. Or not 6'10, 6'11 line getting the upset here. But unfortunately, I had uh, MTSU making it this far. Ultimately, I have Iowa winning. I think Iowa's going to win. Iowa's one of the strongest teams in the nation. It almost feels like a shock that after, I believe, winning the Big Ten tournament that they didn't. Yeah, they did win the Big Ten tournament that they didn't get a uh, one seed. But they are one of, if not the strongest two, uh, you know, in, in the tournament. So I think that this is going to be a very fun showcase for this uh, Hawkeye side as they're going to be looking to take on whoever wins that of Louisville Ole Miss. Of course, I have Louisville winning in this matchup. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I would have seen Ole Miss a little bit closer, I would have taken them over Stanford. So I do feel bad that I did overlook that. However, I do think the Rebels are a very good team, and I think that they're a team that could definitely shock that of Louisville. Very strong defensive presence. If you look at their past five games, they have not allowed more than 60 points. Not wrong. They have allowed more than 60 points once, uh, but that was against South Carolina, who they lost 80 to 51. Outside of that, they only conceded 60 to AM, 55 against Bama, 48 against Gonzaga, and 49 
against Stanford. So this is a team certainly in its stride taking on the Cardinals, who have also only lost one game recently, that uh, being the uh, conference tournament finals against Virginia Tech, 75-67. But this is also another team that I feel like is very well balanced. Uh, If the game relies on defense, they'll play defense. If the game relies on offense, they'll play offense. I mean, if you look at some of the games they've played throughout this tournament, beating Drake 83-81 and then beating Texas 73-51. Uh, a side that a lot of people, you know, may have, I think, had Longhorns over that of Louisville. So, to be able to see this matchup, I think this is a very interesting matchup between two sides that people may have not expected of as much from these Power Five conferences, but is certainly two teams that could have been higher seeds, could have been deemed higher, ultimately very strong. So... If I'm taking one between these two, I'm going to have to favor the side that I took in the first place in Louisville, but it's going to be very exciting to see how those games break down. And on the following day of today, Saturday, (laughs) more so, uh, there are going to be four other women's basketball games, uh, including both of the one seeds. And to go ahead and uh, tell you a little bit about those, you've got an 11.30 a.m. game between that of the Terrapins of Maryland coming up against the Fighting Irish Notre Dame, another exquisite Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, Then following that, you have South Carolina in the Gamecocks taking on that of UCLA Bruins. Uh, Pretty fun game there as well, as South Carolina is looking to complete an undefeated season. Whereas in Seattle, Virginia Tech is going to be taking on that of the Volunteers of Tennessee in a pretty big rematch for that of the Hokies. The Hokies were able to beat Tennessee last time around. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to pull that off again. And then on top of that, you've got that of UConn versus that of Ohio State. In the 2-3 line between one of the stronger Big Ten teams from this season in UConn, a team that definitely this was not a traditional UConn season. However, this is still a strong team that you cannot overlook and a team that can certainly make noise in this uh, in this bracket, particularly in this region, as they can beat Virginia Tech to knock out one of the other one seeds on a way to a, yet another Husky uh, March Madness title. Uh, I don't think that any of my Final Four predictions would change based off of what's happened. If anything, I feel a little bit stronger about Iowa and uh, LSU though LSU is, was very much based off the toss-up between that of the Utes and Tigers. Um, I've always thought that the Virginia Tech side is concerning. Ultimately, the best game available this weekend, I think, is if Virginia Tech plays UConn. Essentially, two teams that could be considered one seeds uh, coming up against each other in like a really, really big game for either program. For UConn, it could be bouncing back off of a, a, a year that isn't normally uh, that of the programs comparatively to um, Virginia Tech, where this is the first time they've made the Sweet 16 in years, and this is the best year of uh, the Kenny Brooks era and would very much like to continue to capitalize on the success that they've found, uh, particularly when this is going to be the last of uh, a possible huge era in that of uh, Kitley and Georgia Moore, who may both be able to move on after this season. 
So big, big for men's and women's tournaments here. Uh, decent success that way. I can also try to pinpoint here in 3304 as I talked about uh, some of the podcast brackets. If there's any others I can note, Ethan Owens I can see is in fifth in that of the 3304 group. And trying to note any other names, uh, Abby Nielsen unfortunately in last uh, and also has 1,300 points, but she's not last in the max though. So I believe that's the brackets I can notice. I believe. But uh, ultimately, very good on either end. Um, giving you my takes on all of the games that have been able to go on. Uh, and ultimately, uh, with all of that being said, uh, there's not much more here to speak on for March Madness. I mean, we had an incredible first weekend. We had an incredible first start to the second weekend. Um, I, I, I guess the final thing I can leave you with is just a couple qu quick notes from the first weekend. Nothing too long, as obviously we were able to talk about that earlier this week. But to give you a couple quick notes from that of my own brackets and that of my potential surprise, uh, to go ahead and list those off. Firstly, um, that of Baylor getting upset against Creighton, I think was a bit surprising. I was slightly tossing and turning about that, but I thought the, that Baylor was going to be able to pull through. Obviously, the second ever 16 seed winning uh, was an incredible sight to see. I was very much considering that happening with Northern Kentucky over Houston. However, I didn't go with that, thankfully. Uh, and then I just didn't think that there'd be another one. I, you know, I was, I was tossing and turning, but I couldn't think of one. And ultimately Farley Dickinson able to get it done in impressive fashion, uh, against that of the Boilermakers. Um, I think it's been a strong tournament from Tennessee who they are out now in the sweet 16, but they had to go with this term with Ziegler. So I think that that's impressive from them. Uh, and I don't think there's much else to say outside of, you know, when I mentioned that Kansas state, uh, this is a magical run for them. And I could truly see the Wildcats being uh, your tournament winners. The only other thing I think I can note is on another personal note uh, of that of Kansas. Um, this is a team that I know I posted about on my Twitter, but I was tossing and turning about whether they were, I, I've used that phrase three times now. I was in a coin flip. How about we use that? Coin flip. And who I thought was going to win between, uh, or who, who I thought was going to beat Kansas between Arkansas and UConn. And I decided to go with UConn, though I knew for the better with my research that uh, champions hadn't made it out of like this, what, first weekend, like the past five tournaments. Uh, but I thought that Kansas was a strong enough team to get past Arkansas and then just bow out to UConn. And I was almost right. Off by point, Kansas was leading, I think, for a good portion of the game, but I was off by a little bit. So, of course, there's going to be a lot to talk about here, ladies and gentlemen. I This is going to be the final recording for this week. We will, of course, have two next week to continue our conversation of March Madness and ultimately cover that of the Final Four. Uh, but obviously, we've got a lot, of, a lot of big things here with sports coming up in the realm of college basketball. Uh, we're going to be learning a lot more about that of transfers and where players may end up, but ultimately players that are going to be entering the portal. Um, already hearing some news on the Virginia Tech end, like Darren Buchanan, uh, who has decided to transfer, uh, hit the transfer portal um, recently. 
Uh, you, you've got that of the NFL draft coming up where there may or may not be things in the works in the wings to be able to get you guys some excellent draft coverage. Uh, hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, but on top of that as well, of course, you've got that of college baseball and college softball continuing on and being able to give full devotion to that of Virginia Tech baseball and softball. Um, but then on top of that, uh, you'll have the spring game and plenty of other things to be able to discuss here as we continue to move forward and a fun time for college sports, uh, though we are about at the time of, unfortunately, the close of the most wonderful time of the year of March Madness and college basketball uh, that, that I grew up and love. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the 3304 Sports Podcast. I hope you all are rooting for your boy to have a successful showcase in the rest of the uh, bracket for uh, 3304 Sports. I would love to be able to uh, adorn that of the <laughs> the uh, March Madness men's and or women's champion. It would be very sweet. Um, but on top of that, I hope you all are excited for the more content that's going to be coming out here. And I hope you all are going to be excited to be able to hear more from us next week uh, as we will be able to discuss the results of the second weekend and ultimately delve into the final four and be able to truly see and truly talk about those games in depth and be able to ultimately give you our ideas for champs, you know, other bracket recaps, et cetera, et cetera. So that being said, once more, thank you all so very much for listening. I hope you all have a safe and blessed Friday, weekend, et cetera, whenever you are listening to this, and please do take care. <laughs>